Hey there, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. Have you ever had feelings that you didn't know how to express to God or to someone else? We've got good news. There's a whole book of the Bible that gives language to the deepest, rawest feelings that we have, and it's the book of Psalms. The rest of the Bible is God's words to you. The Psalms are your words to God. We pray that this message blesses you today. And if you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22. I want to just begin with this statement, okay? Where The Bible tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is freedom. And that's a pretty dense statement, and it means a few pretty cool things, but, of, of, but it definitely means that my experience of freedom is not dictated by my circumstances. That my experience of freedom is connected to the presence of God's Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So let's just make this practical. Can I experience freedom when I'm in a hospital room with my son who's fighting for his life in bed? Yes. Can I, can I experience freedom if I just lost my job? I can know freedom in that. Can I experience freedom when I'm just living in pain all the time and every new day is a, every day is a new pain and you wake up with another one and you go, and it's just, you hurt. Yes, I can experience freedom in that way because my experience of freedom is not dictated by pleasant circumstances. It's connected to the person of God. And I said that because we're shifting gears this morning in our study of the book of Psalms. We've been digging into Psalms this fall, and Pastor Robin and I broke the Psalms down into four categories uh, just to help us better understand them and grasp them. And so we began this whole series um, looking at the wisdom psalms that teach us how to live. All of our categories start with an L. So the wisdom psalms teach us how to live. And then we've just finished the last couple of weeks psalms that emphasize um, leaning on God, trusting in God. And so these are psalms that lean and now this morning, we're going to take a rather dark turn, a hard turn, and we're going to look at some of the most painful things that human beings have ever written. We're going to look at the Psalms of Lament. Psalms of Lament. And today we're going to look at probably what is the most famous of the Psalms of Lament, made famous by Jesus himself. Because as Jesus hung on the cross, paying for the sins of the world, Jesus cried out the words of Psalms 22, verse 1. Maybe you can finish it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, do you catch how personal that is? This is not some force that's out in the corner of the universe somewhere who's impersonal. This is my God. My God. Why have you forsaken 
Me, I'm your man. Why, Lord, have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away? Can I ask you, have you ever felt like God abandoned you? I have. It is deeply painful. And you know, it would make sense if you could think about a good reason. You know what I mean? Like, if, you know, if I had just bludgeoned somebody to death with an axe and buried the body in the basement, all right, maybe there's a little distance between me and God. You know what I mean? But like, if I can't think of any good reason, why, God, are you so far away? Why can't I hear your voice? Why can't I experience your presence in this? Why have you forsaken me? And this is the cry of Psalm 22. That's the heart of the psalm. And it's the reason why Jesus quoted it from the cross. Think about it. Has there ever been somebody more unjustly treated? Has there ever been a more innocent person to suffer that kind of death than Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Is there ever someone who deserved the very presence of his father in his life? It would be Jesus. And so we're going to read Psalms 22, and I think that you will be really surprised by how similar it is to the experience of Jesus on the cross. And here's what's really amazing about this psalm. David wrote this psalm out of some intense pain that he was experiencing. Obviously, he was a hurting unit as he was writing Psalms 22. But more than that, David wrote centuries, literally centuries before crucifixion was invented. David lived about a thousand years or so before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so David's not writing this psalm thinking, you know, someday New River Church is going to really appreciate this and they're going to see how it connects to Jesus. Like that's, that is not going on in David's heart and mind. He is in the middle of some kind of fire and he is writing from the pain of his heart. And I love that. Because like we've said, we're going through these psalms to improve our own prayer lives. Because we've discovered that these psalms, they give language to some of the deepest hurts that our hearts have. And I know what that feels like. When, when God feels far away, David experienced it. Jesus experienced it, right? And so I can find some encouragement in these words today. So it's important to realize that, that David is not writing this necessarily thinking about Jesus. However, it's uncanny how similar it is to Jesus' experience. You would say it's almost inspired, perhaps. I'm joking. Yes, I, I'm convinced it's inspired of the Holy Spirit. So let's read Psalm 22. Now we're gonna, I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. And when I was studying and preparing for this, I, I read this psalm in probably 12 different versions of the Bible this week and listened to it. And I really believe the New King James Version captures the heart of it the best. So if you're reading with a different version of the Bible, uh, my apologies, uh, but that's what's happening. Um, you're not getting it wrong, it's just 
different versions of the Bible. So the New King James Version, Psalms 22, and I've got to warn you, it's painful. It hurts. This is not a happy song. It says, to the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and were delivered. They trusted in you, and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, Oh, he trusted in the Lord. Let God rescue him. Let God deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They, they look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far from me. O oh, my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised 
nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born that he has done this. Psalms 22. Now, Perhaps you see some of the connections between this and the experience of Jesus. My guess is verses 16 through 18 probably jump out at you first. They've, uh, you have the piercing of the hands and the feet. It's a good picture of crucifixion. Counting all my bones, dividing my garments, casting lots for my clothes, that seemed familiar to some of you. That happened as Jesus was hanging on the cross. But there's more. Let me show them to you. So we start with just, I put them side by side, hoping that maybe you can catch this. So verse 1 begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark chapter 15, 34. In verse 7, they ridicule me. David says. In Mark chapter 15, 29, it says, those who passed by blasphemed Jesus, wagging their heads. In verses 7 and 8, David says that his enemies, they shake their heads, and they were taunting him, oh, let God rescue him. In Matthew 27, 43, he tells us that, he, that the same thing happened to Jesus that the religious leaders gathered around him, wagging their heads, saying, he trusted in God, let God deliver him. In verse 14, David says, my heart is poured out like water. And then in John chapter 19, 34, the soldier pierced the side of Jesus and blood and water gushed out. Uh, in verse 15, uh, verse 14, um, oh no, verse 15, sorry, rather, David says, my tongue clings to the roof of my mouth. In John 19, 28, Jesus said, I thirst. In verse 16, David says, the dogs have surrounded me. But in Matthew 27, 27, we're told that the soldiers gathered around Jesus and they hit him with a cane and they put the crown of thorns on his head. And you know, to the Jew in the first century, they called Gentiles, like us, dogs. In verse 16, yet the clearest reference to the crucifixion, they've pierced my hands and my feet. And then Matthew 27, 25, they crucified Jesus. And then in verse 17, David says, they can count all my bones and they stare at me. In Luke 23, 35, we read that the people stood watching. 
Jesus' crucifixion was uh, quite the sight. And then he closes verse 18, they divide my garments and they cast lots. And Matthew 27, 35, that's exactly what they did with Jesus' clothing. They divided his garments and they cast lots. It's interesting, isn't it? That David, who lived centuries before crucifixion was even invented, that David would write a song of lament that so closely connects to the experience of Jesus on the cross. Fascinating. Now, on the surface, though, let's pretend for a moment that we don't know Jesus, okay? It's awfully hard for me, I admit, because of my relationship with Jesus, to read Psalm 22 and to just not see Jesus in it. But just for a second, let's suppose that we don't know about Jesus, and I'm just reading Psalms 22 on the surface. What do you see? It's the song, it's an anguished cry of someone suffering unjustly. I mean, he obviously has not done anything wrong to deserve the kind of treatment that he's getting. He's got these vicious dogs that are attacking him. He's being maligned. People are trying to destroy him. We don't know what he meant when he said his hands and his feet are pierced. I mean, he's just, he, he's a hurting guy. And what makes matters worse for him is that God's not even showing up to help. Did you catch that? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He feels abandoned. And what makes matters worse is that David reflects on how God came through for other people in the past. Did you catch that in, in verse 4? Our fathers trusted in you, and you delivered them. They, they cried out to you, and you delivered them. They, they trusted in you, and they weren't ashamed. You see that? Oh, that hurts. You did it for them, not for me. And this leads David to another conclusion. Verse 6, I must be insignificant. I am a worm. I'm fish food. Nothing. Do you see how David could reach that conclusion? I mean, God, I'm crying out to you here. I'm in a tight spot. And you're like supposed to be the loving God of the universe, see? And so if I'm crying out to God and not even God is answering me, well, then David concludes, I guess I'm just not that important. I'm a worm. I mean, how else would you interpret that? Have you ever felt that kind of insignificance? Like, you know, God, it seems like you're answering everybody else's prayers and not mine. God, it feels like, right? You ever been there? And so then you think, well, maybe it's just because I'm not special in God's eyes or something. I mean, how else do you conclude that? Our minds do all these games, don't they? And David is doing that. And here's what I think is so beautiful, friends. You're feeling that? You need to express that. The Bible gives you permission. Listen, God's shoulders are big enough to handle your questions, your doubts, your angst, your problems. You're, you're not protecting God from anything. You know what I mean? By not sharing it with him, like, oh, I don't want to. Like, just lay it on him. Because that's what David does. 
He laments then all the way up to verse 21, right? It's just, he's moaning and groaning and pouring out his heart all the way to verse 21. And then do you notice that a shift happens in verse 21? There's a shift in tone. Did you catch that? Verse 21, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. And then verse 22, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. What happened? God answered him. And this is why I chose to read the New King James Version, because something really unfortunate has happened here in translating the, the Bible from the Hebrew, which David wrote, into English. You and I speak that. You know, the Hebrew language is a very dense language. It's very dynamic. And so one word in Hebrew can mean a whole phrase. And Bible translators work really hard to make it smooth to go from Hebrew directly into English. And sometimes they have trouble doing that. And that's partly what we see happening in verse 21. That if you have the New International Version, your New International Version says, save me from the horns of the wild oxen, period. Doesn't mention anything about God answering him. And it stops there. Same thing with the New Living Translation. The English Standard Version, the ESV, does a little bit of a better job. The English Standard Version, it, it says, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So the, the English Standard Version at least implies that something has changed for David. You've rescued me from the wild oxen, see? But technically in Hebrew, that's not what's going on. There's just this little word in Hebrew, the word ana, ana. And, and it just hangs there. And, and honestly, there's no neat way to translate it in the text. And so that's why the NIV people kind of left it out. But in the New King James Version, I like it. They're like, you know what? It's awkward. You guys deal with it. And they just give it to us. And so they just translate this word. And the word ahna means answer. It means reply. So in other words, David is complaining to God. And somewhere in there, God answers them. And we don't know how, we don't know what, but something happened. And David began to realize, he does hear me. And that shifts the tone for David. Now notice his circumstances haven't changed. It's still bad. The dogs are coming after him. You know, his enemies are dogging him. It's, it's a bad situation. But David's heart has changed. Why? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. My experience of freedom is not dictated by my circumstances. It's dictated by the presence of God in them. And David is complaining and crying out and crying out and crying out, where are you? Why aren't you hearing me? What's going on? And then something happens. He hears, gets a sense for God's presence, and the whole rest of the psalm shifts gears, doesn't it? From verse 22 all the way to the end. Verse 22, he starts with, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. And then he goes on to sing about God's salvation. 
and how God has provided salvation, and it's going to be known to the whole world, he says. And, and he's just celebrating that to the ends of the earth, verse 27. People will remember and turn to the Lord because he's made salvation for mankind, right? And then he ends with verse 31. They will proclaim, they will come and declare his righteousness to a people not yet unborn, a people yet unborn, for he has done it, he says. He has done it. Can you say that phrase with me? He has done it. We got to say it again. He has done it. What did he do? He did, he sat, he saved. He saved. That's what he did. He has done it. He did it. It is done. It is finished. You say, wait a second. Is that, is that, you can do that? Absolutely. The Hebrew in verse 20, verse 31, allows for that last phrase to be translated, it is finished. So do you catch the connections? This is such a beautiful psalm. Okay, let's walk back through this. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus hanging from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 goes through the agony and the despair and the pain. And then God answers him somewhere in there. And then he celebrates the salvation of God. And, he, and Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Agony, pain, suffering on the cross. Hebrews says that though, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because salvation was being bought on that cross. And Jesus knew that. In Psalms 22, when it gets to the end, David says, it is finished. And Jesus, when he comes to the end and he has paid for the salvation of humanity, he declares, it is finished. The connection between Psalm 22 and Jesus is absolutely stunning. And you know what? We're not the only ones who have discovered that. In fact, Psalm 22 is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament. All of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, quote Psalm 22 frequently, as we just noted. And the writer of Hebrews also quotes Psalms 22. The writer of Hebrews totally got the connection and what Jesus was doing. If you have your Bibles open, just turn for a second to Hebrews chapter 2 because it's important for you to see this. But Hebrews chapter 2 talks about how Jesus was made like his brothers and sisters. You and I have flesh. Jesus took on flesh. That's what Hebrews 2 says. And he does that in verse 9, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, so that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. I love that. He tasted death. Why? He didn't stay dead. He rose again. Amen? So he tasted it. He didn't stay there. And then, and then he goes on to say my favorite verse. We'll look at verse 10. It was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons and daughters, ladies, to glory. 
to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So it's fitting for him in bringing all of these sons and daughters to glory to get us home that Jesus would suffer. And then verse 11, my favorite verse, for both the one who makes men holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. Therefore, Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Jesus is proud to call you and me his brothers and his sisters. He embraces us as family, friends. He went to the cross to rescue his family. See, was it fair? Was it fair? No, it wasn't fair. He was the perfect son of God dying in the place of the prodigal sons and daughters. See, he took our sin upon himself. See, and in the same way that Psalms 22 is the cry of someone who's being unjustly treated, Jesus is also unjustly treated. He did not deserve the cross. See, the wrath of God that was poured out on Christ at the cross, friends, was coming at you and me. And Jesus stepped in and absorbed the full brunt of the wrath of God because he loved you. See, he didn't deserve it, but he chose it because he loves you. And he absorbed the full brunt of the wrath of God. He became forsaken that we would become forgiven. See, no more wrath, no more punishment for sin, no more separation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation. How much condemnation? None. For those, here's the key, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you need to understand there's a big difference between the, the, the forgiveness that is available to you and the forgiveness that gets applied to you. Jesus has made it available to any person. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how badly you've sinned, doesn't matter, doesn't matter where you come from. It's available to every one of us. It's applied to those who receive it. It's as though I give you a gift, and in order for that, for, for that gift, for that transaction, if you will, to be completed, you need to receive the gift. And you need to open it, and you need to enjoy it. It needs to become yours. If you don't do that, if the gift just sits on the table, then it goes to waste. And one of the most tragic truths of life is that the gift of Jesus Christ is going to go to waste in many, many people's lives. Praise God. The price has been paid. Do you see that? I love those bells. 
the church bells are singing for you, my friend, for you. You know, recently I, I was praying and, uh, well, oh, no, let, me, let, me, let me go back to Hebrews chapter 2 for a second. I got off script there. All right. So Hebrews chapter 2, the very next verse, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, the one who makes men holy, those who are made holy of the same family, proud to call us brothers and sisters. And now verse 12, the writer of Hebrews connects it to Psalm 22. He quotes Psalms 22, verse 22. And he says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. So the picture is this. The writer of Hebrews is trying to help us to see this, this picture. Jesus suffers this death, but he does it with you and me in mind. And he comes out victorious. It is finished. It's done, right? And then Jesus gathers his brothers and his sisters, you and me, into this great assembly. And in this great assembly, as he says in verse 22 there, in this great assembly, he declares the praises of God. It's like Jesus gathers us and he brings us home, if you will. And he, and he takes us into the presence of God. Because it's by his stripes that we are healed. It's by his sacrifice, right, that we're forgiven. And we're there, not not of our own good works. We're there because of what he did, his good work. And so Jesus gathers us, if you will, in his arms. and And he leads us in procession, if you will, into the very presence of God. That's that picture of verse 12 there, or Psalms 22, 22. That out of his suffering, there would be triumph. And the other day I I was praying, and not the other day, I guess, it's been a few weeks back now. I was just um, praying and just spending time with the Lord, just worshiping and uh, just enjoying him. And I felt like I got this picture in my mind, uh, just a little glimpse of the joy that Jesus experiences in heaven. And his heart just bursts with joy. What I saw, I guess, was here's Jesus. He's on the throne, and all of us are bowed down before him, worshiping him, right, singing his praise. And Jesus looks out over the sea of humanity, you know. There, every tribe and tongue and nation, I love that. We're all there. And Jesus, as much as he... As much as he has saved, you know, all of these ones, it's very personal for him. He's intimately associated with you and me. And Jesus knows every story. And every story, he's the hero of every story. And he looks out and he goes, hmm, I remember where I met you. You were crying in your room thinking about suicide. And I stepped in and met you there. Oh, I remember where I met you. I met you at the back of that bar. (laughs) You know? Oh, I I remember where I met you. I met you in church. You were so self-righteous. You just thought you were such a good person. You're cute. But I, I, I stepped in. And, and, you, and you became overwhelmed by my grace. You saw my grace for you. And for the first time in your life, you were actually able to call yourself a sinner. 
because my grace gave you the freedom to do that. You know, and person after person, he just remembers where he met you, right? Knows every one of our stories because he is the hero of every one of those stories, right? And his heart, his heart is so filled with joy. It just bursts with joy because we are the result of his good work. The, his agony, his, the forsakenness that he experienced, the, the pain that he experienced, it's, it was for you. And he is so thrilled when you said yes. You see, David felt forsaken. Jesus actually was forsaken. And, and you and I, we feel forsaken sometimes, do we not? But the good news is, because Jesus was forsaken, you technically never are. Amen? Amen? I mean, and I'm not denying your feelings. Please don't, please hear me. I am not minimizing your feelings. I have felt that way myself. But here's what the writer of Hebrews says. And here's the first way that we can apply this. The writer of Hebrews says that we are to consider him who endured such painful opposition so that we would not grow weary and lose heart. So does it take all the pain away? No. I'm not at all suggesting that there's a pill to do that. You know what I mean? Like a Jesus pill that just removes it. That's not what I'm suggesting. But in the middle of that suffering, if I can be mindful of the fact that I feel forsaken, Jesus was forsaken so that I would be accepted and forgiven. Something in that strengthens my heart and keeps me from giving up, right? And so maybe that's where you are this morning. You feel like God has abandoned you, like you're calling God and he's not, he, he's seeing your name on his phone and he's just ignoring it. And you, you feel like that with the Lord this morning. And, and I want you to hear it. We all have felt that before. You're not an oddball for feeling that. You're not crazy. David experienced it. Jesus ex lived it. I wish I had an easy answer for why it happens. I don't. But I know this, when you look at Jesus on the cross, you see the faithfulness of God, that he has been there all along. He paid the price for you to be forgiven and free. And so we hang on to that with everything we have. I know, I know he hasn't forsaken me. I feel it, but I know he hasn't. I know he hasn't. Amen. I just yes. know he hasn't. I might feel it, but I know he hasn't. You with me? Yes. Okay. And now the second person that this applies to is this, and, and Chris and Jonathan, feel free to come and play anytime. But uh, the second person this applies to is this. Some of us this morning just need to, I'll be blunt, get saved. You, you, you think you're going to heaven because you think you're a good person. But that's not a very secure place to stand, is it? 
I mean, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying you, you probably already know this, that there still is a question in your mind. Well, I think I'm a good person, but does God think I'm a good person? I mean, after all, he's the one that's making the final decision, is he not? See, so, so this whole idea of I think I'm a good person, so therefore I think I'm going to heaven, it's just a very insecure place to stand because it's really depending on my own feelings and my own judgment and my own assessment of how I think I am. And at its base, it's pretty faulty. I want to offer you this morning a way that you can know that you can know that you can replace that way of thinking with something that brings confidence in your heart. And that is this. I want to encourage you to let go of thinking that you're a good person and therefore you're going to go to heaven. Just let that go. Just, you know what? I can't trust in that anymore. That's not working. That, that balloon's got holes in it. And instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of my trust and I'm going to lean on what Jesus did for me at the cross. And, and, and I, I'm, just going to, I'm, going to, I'm just going to hang everything I have on that. You know, being a Christian is like, is like jumping out of an airplane with a parachute, right? I only got one parachute. If this one fails, I'm a grease spot. That's what I am. I can tell you something. I've put everything I have on Jesus. He's my only parachute. No backup plan. Because I see him having suffered all that he did and coming through and declaring it is finished. And I'm just going to claim what he finished on my behalf. Amen. And I'm just leaning on that. That's what I'm doing. Counting on it. I'm not counting on anything else. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Today. Will you? Oh, Lord. I hope that you see how much Jesus loves you. How much God you understand that he inspired the writing of scripture. <laughs> and when David is crying out his angst before God in Psalms 22, Jesus is actually, he's the word of God. Jesus is inspiring him. Isn't that crazy? Knowing full well that the day would come when Jesus would actually live that. Isn't that amazing? That's how much he loves you. He's been preparing and planning for you for a long time. And so I invite you this morning to place your trust, lean on him. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We pray that today's message encouraged you. And if you would like more information or just to contact us, go to our website at newriverchurch.org.